If you begin in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospel writers. And then we come to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 2. And today I'm going to look at one verse, and it is verse number 41. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized... And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now we've got it on the screen here. I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible. I'd like you to read with me in unison, either look it at the screen or at your Bible. Let's say it together. Ready? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Today, I'd like to talk on this subject, the pattern of the church. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this blessed day. Thank you already for what we've experienced. But Lord, we come to this very solemn time as we hear from your word. This is not a time to hear necessarily from a preacher, though my mouth will speak the words, but I just desire to be the vessel, and we want your word to come forth. Touch hearts, cause decisions to be made. May folks be obedient to what they hear. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a 100-year-old church member who's actually having a birthday celebration at the church where he had faithfully attended since the time that he was a young man. At his birthday celebration, everybody had brought in cake and ice cream, gave him cards and all sorts of gifts. And after the celebration in the fellowship hall, they all made their way back into the auditorium. And standing at the pulpit was his 30-year-old grandson who began to gather people together and say, we're going to go ahead and say a few words about my granddad. But he said, first of all, he said, I want to ask my granddad a question. And his granddad was sitting in the front row. He said, Grandpa, he said, we all know that you can barely hear and you can't see too well. So tell us. Why do you still go to church every Sunday? That 100-year-old faithful Christian, without even thinking a moment, answered, because I love Jesus with all my heart, and he commanded me to be here, and I just want to show everybody whose side I'm on. I like that answer. I like that 100-year-old man who gave that answer. But you know, the church has fallen in some very hard straits in the last number of years. If you're a person that looks at statistics, you'll see that there's been a significant change in the dynamics of the church. In the late 90s, church attendance had been about 70% of all Americans, but it's now, in the last couple of years, dropped below 50%. In 2019, There were 4,500 Protestant churches that closed their doors while only 3,000 churches were started. In 2020, we learned a lot about online churches. And while that may be good and helpful for some real needs, I'm sad to say that far too many throughout our world now rely on church sitting on their couch. We live in a day, really, I think, and without trying to explain all the statistics and why they come up with these things and what is behind all of these things, 
I want you to know today that the church is a very real and important part of the believer's life, and it should be. But sadly, the believer doesn't see the church as that important. And bottom line is, if I could use one word with a lack of knowledge and realizing the importance of the church, it is this one word, it is commitment. Many people are not committed to the local church. There's a lack of commitment all through our society. People are not committed to marriages. They're not committed to their jobs People are committed to our country, and that attitude of a lack of commitment has spilled over into the church, so therefore, very few see and understand the value and importance of the church. The last few weeks, we've been able to talk about the church and its grand importance. We've looked at what God has done in establishing the church, that is, it's a family of believers The church is built on the pillar and ground of truth. That is, this ought to be a place where truth is preached and taught and lived out. The church is the body of Christ. The church is established by Jesus Christ himself, and therefore he is the head. But today, I don't want to just talk about the church in the sense of theory of what it is, but I want you to see of its importance in your life. And I'm going to do that over the course of the next couple weeks. In fact, when I began this little mini-series on the church, I had three weeks. And I planned it out leading up to our missions conference last week. But I'll be honest with you, as I began preaching about the church, I thought, I can't stop there. And so I have three more weeks. And who knows, when I'm done with the three weeks, I may have three more weeks. So just, just keep coming, and we'll enjoy this little study together. But today, we're going to look at the pattern of the church in verse 41. Next week, we're going to look at verse 42 and see the priorities of the church. The week after that, I'm going to talk about how the church has a purpose. But today, let's note the pattern of the church through verse 41. Have you ever grabbed a box of puzzle pieces and there's no picture as to what that puzzle's all about? I don't know about you, but those are the type of puzzles I wouldn't put together. Because truthfully, if I'm going to put a puzzle together, about the only time I ever put a puzzle together is if I have time during a hurricane. I'm trapped in the house, you know, nothing to do. And so I grab that puzzle, but it's beautiful to have that picture on the box, which provides a pattern for me of how all the pieces fit together. You know, the Bible has a lot to say in the New Testament about the church, and as you put all the pieces together, you realize that there is a beautiful pattern that God has established. So let's open up verse 41 and see today just three simple things about the pattern of the church. First of all, I want you to notice, number one, the first part of the verse, that unbelievers accept the message of the church. Now, I want you to note something, first of all, that when we talk about the church, we're talking about a group of believers. You see, the church is not the building. I know we said this morning, hey, kids, get yourself ready. We're going to church. But the church is believers. It's made up of people. 
But the church is not just some mere meeting together. People often think about it like a social club or an activity center or a status symbol or an entertainment facility. But I'm here to tell you that the church is made up of believers and they are a called out assembly that have been brought together as something known as the church. And how beautiful verse 41 says that these who heard the message, notice what happened, they gladly received his word. Now, I love the fact that it mentions here in the end of verse 41 that 3,000 people received the word of God. They gladly received it. Now, the words gladly received actually come from one Greek word, It literally has this idea of welcoming. In other words, if people are going to take the message of salvation, they must welcome it or take it for themselves. And I believe when we realize that these 3,000 people gladly receive the Word of God, it denotes a couple of things for me. First of all, if something is to be received, then I want you to know something must be offered what was offered. Well, I don't have time today to read through all of Acts chapter 2, but if you know your Bible well, this is what we call the sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost. It was preached by Peter. Peter got up and and began to herald his voice and and call out the gospel. And as you read through the whole chapter 2, here's what you find. Peter begins sharing in that sermon that the people that are listening are sinners because they crucified Jesus. He begins to declare of who Jesus is. Jesus is not just some mere teacher, some moral figure, but Jesus is the very Son of God who came from heaven, lived on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for their salvation. So I want you to know that these people who received something were offered something, that is, a message of salvation. But secondly, I want you to notice that if that message is given, that message must also be offered for acceptance. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 36. Just back up just a little bit. Here it is. Therefore, Peter says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's personalizing this now. Now notice verse number 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know what Peter's doing here? Peter is giving an invitation for people to receive Christ. You know, it's amazing to me. There are many people here today who do not go out and lead others to Christ, and they don't know what it is to bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ. A few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I shared a message on why people are not being led to Christ, and I gave three simple reasons, and I'm going to repeat those again. First of all, spiritual Christians often are not going after lost souls. You know why you're not leading someone to Christ? Because you're not giving the gospel out. You're not out knocking on doors. You're not out trying to share the good news with other people. Therefore, you're not going to see people come to know Christ. Christ. 
Secondly, those who are going are not presenting Christ to the sinner. Now, many times people say, well, I invited someone to church, and I'm glad you invited someone to church. I invited someone to come to my Sunday school class. I invited someone to come for this special event at Calvary Baptist Church, and that's all wonderful. But can I say that's not gospel presentation? Gospel presentation is when you sit down with somebody or you stand face to face and you open up the word of God and you show to people that they are a sinner and that they need a savior who is Jesus Christ. But a third reason why many are not seeing people saved is because witnessing Christians are not drawing the net. You know what I do many times? Not all the time, because sometimes I sense that people are just entertaining me and just kind of listening for the sake of listening. But when I sense that the Spirit of God is speaking to a person's life, you know what I ask them after presenting the gospel? Would you like to receive Christ as Savior? You know what Peter did on this day of Pentecost? Peter didn't just get up and give some information and say, all right, everybody go home, that's it. No, Peter said, look, if you believe this message, you need to repent and be saved. And guess what? 3,000 people said, I want to be saved today. So you know what the church is all about? You know what the pattern is? Is that you and I as a church are to get out there and share the good news of Christ and see other people come to know him as Savior. But number two, I want you to notice, believers associate with the church. So first of all, then they that gladly received his word, notice the next two words, were baptized. In other words, these people did not just stop with salvation. They committed themselves by way of baptism. Now imagine this baptism service, 3,000 people. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Now some of you say, well, I'd probably miss lunch. I mean, 3,000 people, that'd take a long time. Well, I want to tell you something. I'd skip any lunch to watch 3,000 people get baptized who are generally converted. I mean, you talk about an exciting service. But I want to say to you today that baptism, as he talked about, is not some new concept that has been introduced, but but the reason for it is uniquely Christian. You see, leading up to this time of the book of Acts, many times there were Gentiles who would convert to Judaism, and they did it by identifying by way of baptism. Sometimes here we read about the 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 uh, John the Baptist, who, as he was preaching about the Messiah and his work, he would baptize people as they would repent and they would recognize that the Messiah is coming for them, and they would baptize in that way. But I want you to know something that this baptism here is uniquely Christian because it is identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though our text here today in Acts 2.41 does not give a thorough thesis of baptism, I believe that as you compare throughout the scriptures, you'll see the importance and the value and the meaning of baptism. Let me just go ahead and answer three simple questions when it comes to baptism. Number one, who? Number two, when? Number three, how? The who. Who is to be baptized? 
Please notice the order in verse number 41. Notice it doesn't say, then they were baptized and then they gladly received his word. It says here, then they that gladly received his word. Let's stop. They were saved. Then what happened? Baptism. You see, many times we get the order all mixed up. It's important that there is some clarity about baptism. There are far too many that are here today and many that I have met in ministry who were baptized as a young infant or as a baby. I know that I was baptized as a baby, but I'll be honest with you, unless my mom and dad told me that I was baptized as a baby, I wouldn't have known. But you know why baptism is for after salvation and it is to be done by somebody who is very aware? Because salvation is a conscious decision of, and an awareness of who I am and who Jesus is and what he did for me. And therefore, why would I baptize this baby who doesn't understand all that concept? So the order is, it is salvation and then baptism. But let me answer the second question, when? Note again the order. It is salvation first, baptism second. This is the pattern all the way through the New Testament. Some will often say, well, preacher, you know, I, I just need to wait just a little bit. Well, you may have some particular reasons why you wait, but I want to tell you something. As I look through the scriptures, especially the book of Acts, the Philippian jailer didn't go home and say, well, let me kind of think about this. You know what? Paul and Silas baptized him right away. I notice all through the book of Acts, salvation and then immediately baptism. It was a matter of obedience. But now how? How do we baptize? Sometimes people have seen baptisms where there is sprinkling of water or there's a little bit of pouring of water on. What is baptism for? If it is associated with salvation, what are we associating with here? We're associating with the death, the burial, and resurrection. And when Jesus puts things together, he puts it together so we can see a pattern or a picture. Can I ask you a question? Would sprinkling or pouring of water show anything about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. But now if I take my arm for a minute and you look here and I show death and burial and resurrection. In fact, just a little while ago, we saw a young lady. Some of you, glad the screens showed this young lady because she could barely be seen above the glass. But what did you see? You saw a picture of a young lady who had already been saved prior to this day who was identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a powerful picture. Now, some of you are here today, and you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. And I'm talking to adults who can, you won't get shaken about your salvation. There, there's no way that you can get off of that foundation. You remember where you were that you got saved. You remember that day that Christ entered in your life and forgave you of your sins, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. Now, there may be three reasons why you are not doing that. Number one, can I just start with the toughest one first? Pride. Pride. There are many adults, again, for whatever reason, never get baptized, and all of a sudden, years later, now they're too embarrassed to step forward because they say, well, I, I didn't do it earlier. 
I don't mean to single them out, but praise the Lord. Last week, Brother Mitchell had been saved many years ago, but had never been scripturally baptized, that is by immersion. And last year, when I began talking to him, he began, the Spirit of God began to work in his heart. And why he was baptized last week is because he wanted to follow the Lord. Praise the Lord for a humility of spirit, Brother Mitchell. God bless you. But there are others out here today who need to be baptized. I want to tell you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You follow the Lord and believers' baptism, put aside that pride, acknowledge your humility before the Lord. I'm telling you, the Lord's going to do something great. But second reason some don't get baptized is because they're apathetic. There are some people that are here today and say, look, I'm saved, but I don't care whether I get baptized or not. It's not a priority in their life. Oh, they may talk about it. They may say, well, yeah, I see that it's important. But I want to tell you, until you make it a matter of obedience... You'll never follow in in believer's baptism. Number three, disobedience. Some people are not baptized because there's some sin in their life, and they know that as they step forward, they better get that dealt with. Some have forgotten what the order of baptism is. But whatever it is, can I say to you as you look through the Scripture, the Scriptures know nothing of an unbaptized believer. Did you hear that today? The Scriptures know nothing of an unbaptized believer. If you are here today and you've been scripturally saved but have never been scripturally baptized, I would come forward at the invitation to say, and preacher, I'm following the Lord and I'm being obedient to Him. That's a little quiet out here today. Wow. Would you give me an amen for just a minute? I want to see that you're here or here. All right, wonderful. You can do that during the sermon now. It's okay. All right, it's all, honestly, it's all right. So what's the pattern? The pattern is the church preaches, people get saved. People then follow the Lord and believers' baptism. But now the third point I want you to see is that believers are added to the church. Believers are added to the church. Now, before I get to the last section of verse number 41, there's two observations that I believe I need to make before we move on. First of all, when believers are saved, they are a part of the family of God. Every person has been saved as part of this grand body of believers, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is. People of every tongue, every nation, every decade since Christ ascended to heaven who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have become a part of this grand body of believers. But I want to tell you something. There are far too many that say, yeah, I'm a part of that grand body. I don't need to join the local church. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I don't need to join the church. I want to tell you something. As you look through the New Testament, you know what I find? There is a great emphasis on the local church. You see, for those who say, well, I'm saved and I'm a part of the church, can I ask you a question? Who are you praying for? Who are you ministering to? Who are you forgiving? Who are you uh, being accountable to? Those are things that are in the context of the local church. 
And when you take, if you were to open up your Bible and you were to note the books of the Bible in the New Testament, here's what you'd note, that there are letters, books of the Bible, that are written to local churches. Corinthians, guess who that's written to? The church is at Corinth. Romans, it's written to the church at Rome. Galatians, written to those churches in the area of Galatia. Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus. Timothy, we have two books or letters that are written to a young pastor of a church. Titus is also another pastor. And so therefore, what am I trying to say to you today? That this is important for you to understand the local church. You see, far too many people treat the church like a buffet. How many of you like to go to a buffet? Would you raise your hand? I'll be honest with you, I I still like to go to a buffet, but I cannot do what I did as a teenager. When my parents would take me out to eat, and it was rare we went out to eat, we went to a buffet. And my dad would say, we had four boys. And my mom only cooked so much, and I'll be honest, I learned to eat fast because if I didn't eat fast, I couldn't get seconds. There was only so much for seconds. But at a buffet, my dad would sit down, and he said, son, have all you want. Have all you want. Wow. You talk about a life-transforming experience. It was wonderful. I'd go up, I'd select this, I selected that. Now, there were certain things I didn't like. I didn't, you know, at the time, I, didn't, I, I still don't. I, I really didn't care for peas. I don't like lima beans. I don't, you know, there's just things that I didn't like. But I, I, I chose the things that I liked and the things that I didn't, I, I walked past. Do you realize many people treat church like that? To them, it's a buffet. It's all right if I'm here two out of the four Sundays. It's all, it's all, I, 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 can, I don't need to be involved. I don't need to do this. I don't, I don't need to. No, I want to tell you something. There's something more valuable about the church. And again, it comes to this area of commitment. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you from the scriptures why you ought to become a part of the church and be a member of a local church. Now you say, preacher, I'm going to challenge you. Show me a verse in the Bible, book and chapter that says, thou shalt join Calvary Baptist. You won't find it in here. But what I'm going to give to you is four principles throughout Scripture that help you see the importance of joining. I remember when I was associate pastor, and I had served for about 20 years down further south of here, And I enjoyed my time as associate pastor. In fact, I had been given a great amount of responsibility and really fell in love what I was doing. It was a great opportunity for me. And in fact, I felt to a certain degree like a senior pastor in an associate role. And I would have many that would come and and, uh, I would help do some counseling for the pastor. I would help oversee certain things. And I'd have people come and ask questions and I'd answer those questions. But there were a couple things that they would come that I would say, go see the pastor. You know what one of them was? Pastor, why should I join a local church? You know what I'd say? Go see the senior pastor. Because truthfully, I had not formulated what my thought was uh, scripturally about people joining a church. And then when I came here, 
And that day in April of 2016, I got voted in, and I'm on the way, and Jerry DeBorse, God bless him, he called me, he said, Pastor, favorable vote, you're our new pastor. I hung up the phone, I was excited, and then I started thinking to myself about this and that, and then one of the things was, what do I tell people if they want to join the church? And that brought me to the Scriptures. And I'm going to share with you in the next couple of moments what I found in my study, four simple things, and I won't be long with them, and, but this is going to be a little bit of a teaching time. I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles for just a moment. Let me give you four principles. Number one, the principle of identification. The principle of identification. Now, the Scripture has given us an indication that people purposefully and consciously made a decision to be part of a particular group. Notice verse 41, our text verse, it says, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now the word added here comes from two different Greek words, which means to put together. Now, I understand in the tense that is used, there is something that is happening here. It is in the passive form here, but there is something where a conscious decision is made to be a part of this group. But I believe as you look through, there's a lot of other passages that reinforce that people make this decision. Look with me, if you will, and I'm going to just ask you to hold your place here. Go to Acts chapter 5, verse number 13. Acts chapter 5, verse number 13. I'm going to read this verse and then give you the context. The Bible says, And of the rest durst, that is, dare, no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Now, what's the context here? If you know your Bible, Acts chapter 5, here's what happened. Do you remember two people, a married couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira had come and had lied about something to the church leadership about what they were going to give. And God struck them down dead. Now imagine if somebody lied here at Calvary Baptist and they were struck dead. What do you think it would do for our population rise of membership? People go, don't go to Calvary Baptist Church. Especially if you're a liar. Because if you walk in there, there's chances you'll be lying on the ground not breathing anymore. Well, you know what verse 13 is telling us? There were people out in the community that said, uh-uh, I am not associating myself. I'm not joining that church, making that decision to identify themselves. All right, now that's just one verse. I want you to go over a couple other books. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Or actually, I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 6. Let me get, grab this one here. Acts chapter 6, verse number 3. Now, there's a problem leading up to verse number 3 where the widows in the church are being neglected. Now, up to this point, I want you to think about this. In Acts chapter 1, the church is made up of 120 people. In our text, we read 3,000 people got saved. Prior to this passage, another 5,000 people got saved. Do you think there's some organization that has to take place? Yeah. And guess what? The widows are being neglected, and there's problems that are going on amongst all these widows. 
And so they're coming to the people and the people are coming back to the apostles who are the preachers and they're asking, what should we do? Now notice verse number three, Acts chapter six. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out. Now notice the next two words. Among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Look at these words among you. This passage informs us of the selection of the first deacons, and guess where the selection of the deacons was to come? Was among the group that had gathered together that was known as the church. Let me give you one other passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Notice here, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, or I'm sorry, verse number 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such an one, no, not to eat. For what shall I do to judge them also that are without Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Do you notice here in verse number 12, these words, those that are without, those that are within. If you see that, would you say amen? Amen. Let me try that one more time. Do you see those two different groups here? Amen? Amen. All right. Now, here's, here's, what, here's what is being spoken about. It is clear that within this church of Corinth, as Paul is dealing with a discipline issue, this is the context of 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man that was in the church that had not been dealt with who is living in gross immorality. And the church hadn't done anything. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with this when I get there. And he says, and if I can paraphrase, he said, look, I don't have anything to do with those that are without the church. That is, those that live in Corinth and haven't yet identified with the church, I don't have anything to do with them. But I have everything to do with those that are within the church, those that have associated. Now, I could give you a number of other references, but I'm going to go ahead and move on. That is the principle of identification. When I join a church, I'm identifying with a particular group. Number two, the principle of belonging. The principle of belonging. This principle clearly states that a church body is made up of people who have joined together in a natural and working relationship. Do you realize God's plan is that we belong to a local church whereby we do the following things. We exercise our gifts. We express our faith and we enjoy the bond of mutual fellowship with other committed believers. Now, how amazing. I want you to note here, uh, you're in 1 Corinthians. Go, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12.
I want you to notice verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is, next word, one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Skip down to verse number 20. But now are they many members, yet one body. And then he begins talking about the parts of the body, the physical body. The eye can't say to the hand, I've got no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't have a need for you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Do you realize what he's saying here? That every part of the body is important. There is one body, but a lot of different parts, and every part belongs as a part of that body. I could go back to the book of Romans, chapter number 12, also verses 4 to 5. He talks about one body, many members. But can I say to you here today that until you understand your obligation, your part in the family of God, and it is to a local assembly, then you'll never figure out what this church is all about. And I'm talking about the church in general. See, let me tell you about the belonging as you go through the New Testament passages of Scripture. It's amazing that if you were to take and note the words, one another, you'll see our accountability with each other, the mutual responsibility. Let me just give you a sampling. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be kindly affection one to another, preferring one another. Uh, Romans 14, 19, edify another. Romans 15, 14, admonish one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, care one for another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear ye one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 2, forbearing one another. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind one to another, forgiving one another. Colossians 3, 16, admonishing one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, abound in love one toward another. Do you get the picture? You see, the idea is just because you say, well, I'm saved, I'm a part of the grand body of Christ, can I ask you, where are you fulfilling these things? There has to be a local body, people you see face to face that you have responsibility with. Number three principle, there's the principle of identification, the principle of belonging, but now the principle of the under-shepherd's responsibility. The under-shepherd. This principle states that there is a specific group of people whom the under-shepherd, that is the pastor, has a responsibility to and for. Now, there's a couple passages of Scripture, again, that I'd like you to turn. And I told you we're, gonna, we're studying a little bit here today. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. Hebrews, chapter number 13. And I wanted to call to your attention two verses in this chapter. Hebrews 13, verse number 7. And then I'm also going to look at verse 17. I'll read them, and then I'll comment. Verse number seven, remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls 
as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now back to verse number seven. Let me ask you a question. According to this verse, verse number seven, who speaks the word of God to you? Just answer it to yourself. Whose faith are you to follow? It is that pastor and should be that pastor whom you know and identify with in a local congregation. And the passage tells us to remember that man, that pastor. Why? You remember him for how he's taught the word of God, for how he's lived before you. But now notice verse number 17. Notice what verse 17 talks about. Obey and submit. Now, those are words in our independent culture today and the rebellious times that we live in. We don't like to use those words. But I want you to know that the words obey and submit when it comes to the spiritual leadership does not indicate an unqualified obedience nor does it say that the pastor is just some authoritarian guru. No, this is very simply a respect for the man of God's position in the spiritual realm. You see, the biblical authority that a pastor has comes from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God working through him so he can lead the people of God. The type of authority people should submit to is the work that the Holy Spirit's doing through the faithful, consistent teaching of the Word of God. And what are the reasons for this submission? Do you realize that as a pastor, it is my obligation to watch for your souls? If you've never been close to a pastor, you don't understand And I want you to know today there's hardly a day that wakes up that I don't think about and feel the grave responsibility that I have to lead this flock of God. And someday I will be held accountable for how I've led the people who have decided to identify with Calvary Baptist Church. You that have joined, I have a great responsibility. And I take it seriously. You ask my wife. This is no nine-to-five job. This is not a time where I come in and clock in and clock out and go, well, that's good. I hope those people figure it out tonight when they get a problem. Ask Toy, who lived in a preacher's home, and who knew a father, pastor, who would pray for his people, who loved on his people, who spent himself. Why? Because there's a leadership involved and there's a responsibility before God. That's why you ought to pray for your pastor. And I must say that if I, as a pastor, am going to watch for your soul's then I need to know who I'm watching for. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You get the picture how this all fits together? You see, I'm, I'm not a pastor of all of Englewood. Now, 
If I got a call from somebody and they said, hey, pastor, I don't go to your church, but my wife is dying in the hospital. Would you go see her? I'd go see her. Absolutely. You know why? Because I care for people. But do you know who I have a real responsibility for? Those that have identified with Calvary Baptist. Who am I a pastor of? It is those who have said, pastor, we're here. We're joining this church. Last one is principle of accountability. One of the ways you and I grow and mature is by being interconnected with each other. Commitment to a local body of believers brings about responsibility and accountability, which God uses to help us to become more like His Son. Now, I'm not going to turn to the passage because of time, but you, if you're taking notes, write it down. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. It's a passage most like to call the passage that deals with church discipline. I don't like to use the word discipline when I talk about the passage, though that could be an end result. I like to talk about the passage that deals with restoring a fallen brother. When someone in the church, and again, remember 1 Corinthians 5, there are those that are within the church. When someone within the church is not living as they ought to. Now, does that happen in the church? Sure it does. It really does. Are there problems between Christians in a church? Are there fights and arguments and, and, and separation? Oh, that happens. Oh, I think about the little poem I read a number of years ago. Oh, to be in heaven above with the saints we love, oh, that'll be glory. But to live down here with the saints we know, that's another story. (laughs) And truthfully, it's pretty wild to live with people and amongst people. But when you look at Matthew 18, there's a responsibility that when someone after step number one and step number two, refuses to get right with God, the Bible says, tell it unto the church. Could I ask you a question? And you answer to yourself, who's the church? It's those that have identified. It's those that are part of and have defined themselves as a part of the church. Now, in closing today, there's three questions that I want to ask you. And I want you to take a moment and answer these very honestly and truthfully to yourself. Number one, have you gladly received his word? In other words, are you saved today? You say, Pastor, I passed number one question already. Good. But maybe you haven't. And today in the invitation time, why don't you come forward and we'll have someone sit down with you and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you, life is short. It's fleeting. Before it's too late, you're going to be slipping off into eternity. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? Number two question, have you been scripturally baptized? I'm not talking about whether you've been baptized here. I know there are some churches that uh, when they have people come to join the church, they baptize them here so they know they identify with this church. I've never been one to require that. But have you been saved and since your, bapti- since your salvation have been scripturally baptized? 
You say, Pastor, two out of three. Excellent. Well, now number three, have you joined this local church? Now, I'm looking out, and I'm not looking at anybody specifically, but there are a number of people that are here that attend, and they've been attending for some time, but have never joined. I want to encourage you to think about what would keep me from joining here. And I want to encourage you to step forward and do that. Now, you say, preacher, hey, I got 100% today. I answered in the affirmative for all three questions. I've been saved. I've been baptized. I've joined this church. Do you mean I wasted my time this morning by coming? No, because in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. And that is that if you've been saved and you've been baptized and you've joined this church, now you get others to help bring them to get saved and to get baptized and to join the church. You say, am I done with that? No, no. Now we go back and we get others and we see them get saved and we see them get baptized and we see them join the church. It is a cycle that continues for how long? Till Jesus comes. So are you involved in the process? This is the pattern. Simple. We have a message to share, the gospel. People get saved, baptized, join the church.